0: Welcome to Your Change, a broadcast aimed at revealing grace and empowering transformation. Through the revelation of God's undeserved, unearned, and unmerited favor, we are committed to helping you make better changes in life, for life. We have been uh, responding to that one question, which is the question, what happens when grace happens? What happens when? When grace happens. And on the, first, uh, on the first Sunday that we began to talk about this, we, were, we answered it this way, that when grace happens, the impossible becomes what? The impossible becomes possible. Looking at Genesis chapter number 17, the, the account of Abraham and Sarah, when God changed their names, Uh, from Abram to Abraham. Do you remember that? When God changed their identities from Sarah, Sarai to Sarah. Yeah, Do you remember that? When God changed their identities, and we discover that in changing their identities, God simply added one letter on the Hebrew alphabet. God added one letter to the name Abram, God added one letter to the name Sarai and is the same letter that God added. And to those who remember, the one letter which God added to these names, it was the letter Hey in Hebrew. Is the letter He and the letter He it is the fifth letter on the Hebrew alphabet, is the number, is the number five letter on the Hebrew alphabet. Now that letter Hey. By meaning, it is it is the word that speaks or, or denotes grace. Number five is the number of, talk to me church. Number five is the number for grace. So when God came in and he changed the identity of Abraham, all that God added, he, he added grace. When God changed the name of Sarai to Sarah, god added the grace factor that's what god added and it was the grace factor which we see changing everything from there on god began to say next year this time next year this time next year this time you're going to be holding your own son when grace happens the impossible becomes what possible Verse number 1 of Genesis chapter number 17, it begins by saying Abraham was 99 years, bringing our attention to a situation that is complicated. No one was expecting a 99-year-old to hold a baby. But when grace happens, the impossible becomes what? Possible. And last Sunday, we answered the second that we, we responded to the second answer, which is when grace happens, the unexpected happens. And the context of the unexpected is love. Somebody say love. When we looked at, the, at Luke chapter number 15, from verse number 11 to 32, the story, popularly known as the story of the prodigal son. But last Sunday, we agreed that let's Let's put that title aside and let's, let's, put, it, let's put a title that, 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 is, that, that, that does justice to this portion of the scripture. So we, we agreed that let's call it uh, the story of the compassionate father to his two sons. Because the moment you do that, you are shifting your focus from the son to the father. And as a matter of fact, the, the main character in that story is not the prodigal son. It is the father. But if you look at it from the prodigal son, you will miss the unexpected love of the father towards his son. So whenever grace happens, the unexpected love, it happens. Allow me over the next few minutes to respond to the third response, to give the third response. What happens when grace happens? When grace happens, Change happens. When grace happens, change happens. Somebody say, when grace happens, change happens. So in other words, it is impossible for grace to take place and change not take place. It is impossible. You know, for me who comes from Africa, this, this is an area where we say it can't. Yeah, this is an area where we say uh, one minus two. We say it can't. Yeah? It is impossible for grace to take place and change not take place also. So in other words, the catalyst for change is grace. The agent for grace, for change, is grace. But let me just bring you to the whole context of what I'm going to be sharing. In Christianity, the greatest change is not change of things, but is change of life. Can I repeat that? In Christianity, the greatest change, it is not change of things, but it is change of what? It is change of life. So, in other words, I can simply say, no grace no change. No grace, no change. But where there is grace, you are guaranteed of change to take place. Why is this so important to you? Almost everyone in this church, almost everyone in this world wants things to change. Amen, those who come from Zimbabwe. (laughs) Almost everyone wants things to change. We want our economies to change. We want our businesses to change. We want our schools to change. We want things to change. But let me tell you, the greatest change is not change of things. It is change of life. Why is it like that? Because where there is change of life, there is change of things. Do you remember a man called Gideon? When God changed his life, things changed. After going through seven years of being harassed by the Midianites and the Ammonites. But the very moment God changed a person called Gideon. The situation around it also what? It also changed. That's why I'm saying in Christianity the greatest change is not change of things. But it is change of life. In Luke chapter number 19 verse number 1 through to verse number 10. It is the popular story of a man called Zacchaeus. We all know Zacchaeus because of his... Thank you. A lot of us, we know Zacchaeus because of his height. (laughs) And when you come to Luke chapter number 19, I'm just going to read it very quickly from verse number 1. I don't want to assume that you have read it. Verse number 1 to verse number 10, if you can help me. Jesus entered Jericho and passing through. A man was there by the name Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was very wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was. He wanted to see who Jesus was. He wanted to see who Jesus was. And what did he do? But because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So, what did he do? So, he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way, was passing through that way. When Jesus reached the spot where Zacchaeus had climbed the tree, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give a half of my possessions. Now they're at home, right? Look, Lord. Here and now, I give half of my possessions to the Lord. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. Now remember, this Zacchaeus is not a foreigner. He is a Jew. He is a Jew. Today, the salvation has come to this house because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to serve the the lost. Somebody say, when grace happens, change happens. Now, when you look at this portion of the scripture, can I draw your attention to three characters that you see in there? The first one is Zacchaeus himself. The second one is the crowd. And the third one is Jesus. The first one is... Second one is the crowd. And number three, Jesus Christ himself. Now, let's look at uh, Zacchaeus. Now, Zacchaeus is identified as the chief tax collector. The chief what? Tax collector. That, that's his profession that is identified with. And we have the crowd on the other side. And we have Jesus at the center. Now... When you look at Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus had a bit of a challenge in this story that is presented here. Why? Because Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus. The scripture does not tell us the reason why he wanted to see Jesus. It just says he wanted to see Jesus. But I want to think it's a a suggestion. Uh, It's not conclusive. It's a suggestion based on reading the scripture and the context. I would want to believe that Zacchaeus had a head about Jesus. And he was so curious to see this man whom everyone is talking about in the city. That's the first suggestion that I have. The second suggestion is the reason to why he wanted to see Jesus. is because in the past, the scripture is very open that Jesus had had welcomed the tax collectors... He had embraced them, the tax collectors in the city, something which the Pharisees did not agree with. So maybe Zacchaeus said, if Jesus accepts tax collectors, I want to see him so that maybe I may be accepted. Why was acceptance such an important thing to Zacchaeus? Because tax collectors were put in the same brand category with sinners. Am i Am talking to somebody in the house? Text collectors, <laughs> if I may use the language back home. Text collectors and sinners were in the same WhatsApp group. That's how they would say it isn't. Yeah. Text collectors and sinners were in the same group, were in the same category, were in the same class. So the hostility that was given to the sinners is the same thing that was given to tax collectors. Somebody shout amen. Somebody shout amen. But this man, he wants to see Jesus. Now the context of this man is that he was a tax collector and he's believed that he had risen to the higher ranks. Now what was happening in this time was that the Jews had no independence, they they were under the powers of the Romans. They were under the powers of the Romans, and no one liked the Romans. Everyone prayed that this operation comes to an end. That's why, towards the end, you hear the disciples saying to Jesus, When are you going to restore the kingdom back to, to Israel? Because at this time the kingdom was with the Romans, they were the superpowers. At the particular time. So, no one liked, no one liked the Romans. Now, the chief tax collectors in this place, Jericho, where Zacchaeus was. What the Romans would do is, they would give a license to a local man to run the tax collecting business. Right? The license would be given to a local man to collect the taxes. Now, as the Romans would do that, they would stipulate the amount of money that they would want to get. Right? They would indicate the money, the amount of money they would want. But now, what the tax collectors would do, the local men, what they would do towards their fellow men, they would collect, collect, collect. When it's enough, they would continue to what? collect. Simply because they were the only ones who knew the exact figure that was required by the Rome. No one knew. It was only them who knew what was in the contract between them and the, the Rome. But people begin to realize how wealthy these guys were becoming. And uh, their, their system people begin to know about it. that uh, something is not right here. And these guys, they became wealthy. So you know what? Don't be so so much surprised. Uh, corruption never started in Zimbabwe and South Africa. Uh-uh. No. Corruption has been around for some time. Corruption is very old. So, in other words, the tax collectors were known for corruption. They would, de- they, they would deceive their fellow men. So whenever the Jews looked at the tax at the collectors, they called them sinners because they put them in the same bracket with the Romans. The same hostility, the same anger that they had towards the Romans is the same anger they had towards the tax collectors. So look at it here. Zacchaeus is not loved in Jericho. the mob, the crowd doesn't like Zacchaeus. Why? Because in their eyes and their minds, Zacchaeus is a traitor. How can you take sides with the Romans, people who are oppressing us? How can you you take sides with people you are supposed to be fighting against, but you are actually fighting for them? And in fighting for them, you are fighting us. So, as far as the Jewish community is concerned, no one liked the Zacchaeus. The tax collectors were hated with passion. No one loved them, the tax collectors. Now, this man now wants to see Jesus, but there is a crowd. The first disadvantage is, he is short, and it would be. A life mistake, a lifetime mistake for Zacchaeus to join the crowd to see Jesus. Why? Because this man is hated to the point that, according to the Jewish writers, the only time the Jews permitted someone to lie, it was to lie to the tax collectors. Oh, you didn't hear me, collector. The only time the Jews said it's okay to lie, it was lying to the tax collectors. So it was a custom in their time that when you're going to the tax collector, it's okay to lie. And you don't even need to repent about it. You, you're okay. You're fine. So it's, it was approved by the Pharisees to lie to the tax collector. That's how much they were hated. And people would look for any opportunity to do away with tax collectors. So, a lifetime mistake for Zacchaeus would be to join the crowd. Because remember, he's short. And in that crowd, if the moment people notice that he, this is Zacchaeus, a collector, people were not afraid even to pull out a knife and just do it and stab you. By the time the crowd moves and, uh, and, and, and he's bleeding there, no one knows who has done it. That's how much he was hated. And it was expected that when Jesus got to the tree and he saw Zacchaeus on the tree, I would want to think within the context of what was happening there, I would want to believe that people were actually saying to Jesus, you know what, tell him, he's a traitor. Tell him he's a traitor. He, he, why, is, why has he gone into the sycamore tree? Tell him he's a traitor. Bring him down. That's what everyone was expecting and that response would have, would have been welcomed with a, with, with a standing ovation. Why? Because tax collectors were hated by almost everyone. But what we see, this young man, because he wants to see who Jesus was. He began to do something that Jews don't do. I shared about this last Sunday. He ran. We see him running. And as he's running, he goes to this specific tree, which is called the tree. It's a tree that is not difficult to climb because the branches are very low. And it has these thick leaves. When you climb into the sycamore tree, you are able to to, to hide from people and you are able to see what's happening everywhere. So the reason why he ran to the tree, it was not only for him to go to an elevated place, but he was also hiding from the crowd. Because tax collectors and crowds don't mix. But when Jesus came to him, everyone is expecting Jesus to be very harsh and hard on him. But what does Jesus do? Jesus comes in and he says, Zacchaeus, come down. I must come to your house immediately. When grace happens, change happens. We've got a, a man who is known for corruption in the city. But when grace happens, change happens. What we see is that Jesus comes in and he says, today I must go and eat in your house. Something that the crowd was not expecting. They were expecting Jesus to be harsh on him, but Jesus comes in and he embraces him. But watch what happens the moment he was embraced. He stood up and he says, everything that if I cheated anyone, I'm going to give them back four times more than what the law required because the law said if you, if you cheat someone according to Leviticus, if you cheat someone or you rob someone and, and you are caught, you are supposed to bring what you stole and one-fifth on top. But this one doesn't bring one-fifth, he brings four times. When grace happens, it's not the change of things that takes place, it's the change of life. So what we see in Zacchaeus is a man whose heart has been changed. Why? Because Christ came in and he embraced him. He embraced him. He gave him the unexpected love. He gave him the unexpected fellowship. He gave him, he extended a hand of fellowship to him. When grace happens, somebody say change happens. Whenever grace happens, change happens. But what I like about this grace is that grace is not cheap. Can I repeat that? Grace is not cheap. It's very costly. But the good news is the one who pays the price is not the receiver, is the giver. Grace is very costly, but the one who pays the price is not the one who is receiving. It is the one who is giving. So we see here, Jesus, he's paying the price. Why? Because Zacchaeus was supposed to pay the price of being a traitor. But what does Jesus do? Jesus comes in and he shifts the hostility against Zacchaeus to himself. So instead of people being angry with Zacchaeus, people are now angry with Jesus. Am I talking to somebody in the house? Instead of people being angry with Zacchaeus, they were now angry with Jesus. How can you embrace a sinner? How can you welcome a sinner? How can you extend a hand of, of fellowship towards a sinner? So instead of people being angry and then be, being red, red-eyed against Zacchaeus, they are now very cross with Jesus, which is the price that grace pays grace takes the cost grace takes it shifts what is supposed to happen on you and it takes it upon itself that is a beautiful picture of what jesus christ has done when, when everything, when, when the hostility of sin was intended to come upon us. But what does Jesus do? He came in and he shifted the whole anger from us and he took it upon himself. It's not the first time. The other time Jesus went to the house of Simon the, the Pharisee. And the Bible says a sinful woman walked in. It was only a matter before the Pharisees were very harsh on this woman. How can you come to the house of a Pharisee, a sinner, known in the city? And she came and she began to anoint the feet of Jesus. And they were waiting to see what Jesus was going to say to her. Because according to their custom, Jesus was supposed to rebuke her. But what does Jesus do? Jesus allowed her to continue doing everything. And instead of the Pharisees being angry at the woman, they were now angry at Jesus. Why? Because grace pays the price. And it is the giver who meets the bill, not the receiver. And I'm so grateful that as we are standing here, we are not givers of grace, but we are receivers of grace. So you are not called to pay for grace. Religion will demand you to pay for grace. Listen to me, Zacchaeus never did anything for Jesus to come to his house. It was the grace of God upon Jesus that visited Zacchaeus. And when grace happened, then Zacchaeus changed in response to the grace of God. Now, to change without grace happening, that change is temporal. Amen, church. To change without grace happening, that change is, will be temporal. Everybody look at me. When their the children very soon will be out of this place to our own place where the setup will be different. So, whenever grace happens, change happens. Zacchaeus never did anything for him to get the grace, but grace came along his way. And all he had to do was to stay humble. Pastor, what do you mean? How do we see the humility of, of, of Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus was very wealthy. And you know people who are wealthy especially the tax collectors. They would want to flag up their wealth. I can pay for you, to, for you to come to my house. But Zacchaeus kept quiet. Zacchaeus played to the tune of what Jesus was doing. And, and Zacchaeus accepted everything that Jesus was doing. That's, that's humility at its best when you, when you submit yourself to the Lord. That's why, that's why James, I think James chapter number four, verse number six, it says, God gives grace to the humble. Yeah? God gives what? He gives grace to the humble. And we see this happening to Zacharias. And when grace happens, change happens. Whenever grace happens, change happens. Church of the living God. The greatest demonstration of grace is what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. Where he shifted the anger of the whole world. Where he even shifted the anger of God towards us. And he took it upon himself. Instead of the judgment to come upon us, the judgment fell upon Christ. The judgment fell upon the Son of God. In, in other words, He is paying the price for grace. And all that is required of you is for you to come and receive this grace of God. It is for you to come and to embrace this grace of God. Church, we are not praying for grace to happen because grace has already happened. Jesus Christ is grace. Jesus the Christ is the grace of God. That's why John chapter number 116, we've been talking about this verse. Out of his fullness we have received grace upon grace. We have received favor upon favor. We have received gift heaped upon gift. That's what the Amplified Version says. When grace happens, change happens. The greatest change you'll ever need in your life, it is not change of things, but it is change of life. Nothing carries the capacity to change a man's heart other than the grace of God. Money will not change your heart. Material things will not change your heart. What is the power to change man's heart? It is the grace of God. Perhaps you are praying for someone whom, whom you think that nothing is going to change in their lives. Let me tell you, grace can change anything. Grace can change anyone. No one dared to think that Zacchaeus would change his mind. No one ever imagined or thought to see Zacchaeus bringing back what he stole for many years. Not just once, but paying it back four times a day. But when grace happens, I'm saying to you, change will automatically take place. You can never be exposed to grace and have your life remain the same. When grace happens, change happens. That's why when grace happened to Saul of Tarsus, on his way to Damascus, to persecute those of the way, but when grace happens, change happened in his life. And when his life was changed, everything around changed. The same man who was persecuting the church is the same man who's protecting the church. When grace happens, change happens. I know perhaps you are praying for certain things to change in your life, but can I encourage you, pray for change of life. Say grace touch me. Say grace change me. Say grace mold me. Say grace lead me. Why? Because when grace happens, change happens. That's why I like the song that we normally sing. And it says, he touched me. Oh, he touched me. And oh, that joy that floods my soul. Something happened. And now I know Jesus touched me. And man Me. That is exactly what happens when grace happens. It, It will not leave you the same. Grace will change your life. So, what you need to do, expose yourself to the grace of God. Expose yourself to the grace of God. That is why, as a church, we are conscious about this. It's an intentional decision for us to reveal grace. Why? Because when grace happens, transformation happens. Every time grace takes place, transformation, change takes place. And for us, it's not a change of things. It's the change of life. Now, this change has no edge barrier. You might be saying, Pastor, I'm a teenager. No, 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 no. When grace happens, change happens. Everyone is praying for things to change in our nation. But let me tell you, in the atmosphere of grace, things change. Things change. We can try everything and anything else. Up until grace happens, change will not take place. But I'm grateful. I don't know about you. I'm so grateful to God. I was praying over this week and I'm hearing the sound of a revival. I'm hearing the sound of a revival. And it's not the revival of anything, of gimmicks or tricks that we're seeing. It's the revival of the grace of God. Um, I'm hearing the sound of the message of grace rising up, taking place and and taking over everything that is wicked, everything that is sinful. I'm hearing the sound of a revival. I'm hearing that sound of the grace of God. Why? Because up until grace happens, change is not going to take place. And I'm grateful that God has chosen us to become agents of his grace in this season, in this hour. To be the people, the church that is going to stand up and proclaim the message of God's grace. The undeserved, the unend, and the unmeted favor of God. Zacharias never deserved what he got from Christ. But when grace happens, you receive even what you don't deserve. This is the message of the cross. When grace happens, change happens. When grace happens, change happens. Can I conclude by saying to you, in paying the price, in paying the price for grace, two things work together, mercy and grace. Mercy and grace. What's the difference, Pastor? Mercy, it is God stopping what you deserve. Let me qualify it. Mercy, it is God stopping the judgment that you deserve. He comes in, he stops it. But grace comes in and he says, we are going to give you what you did not deserve. mercy comes in and says you know what Zacharias you've been stealing people's money all this time we you, you you condemn you to, we, and we, we, we announce you guilty from today and your penalty is you must go in prison for seven years but mercy comes and it says no mercy comes and it suspends the judgment and grace steps in and says you did not deserve life You did not deserve freedom, and now we are giving you what you did not deserve. Why? That's how grace happens to us. When grace happens, change happens. I don't know about you, but as I'm standing here, I'm a recipient of the things that I never deserved. I don't know about you, but as for me, I I can stand and be so grateful to God because where I am right now, I, I did not deserve it if I begin to think and to consider some of the things that I did in the private, uh, you've got your own private. Yeah, you've got your own private. But when I stand up and I begin to consider some of the things that I said, some of the things that I did, sure, I don't deserve to be where I am right now. But grace came in and says, you not. Know judgment, we're suspending it. And grace came in and says, what you did not deserve, we are giving it to you. Remain humble, because grace, God gives grace to the humble. Humble yourself. And the Lord will lift you up. Thank you for tuning in to Your Change, a broadcast aimed at revealing grace and empowering transformation. To interact with us, please visit our website at afmimmiltonkeens.org or follow us at Ebenezer Fellowship AFMIM on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can also interact with Pastor Danny on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. For easy access, the links are in the description. Until we meet again, may heaven keep smiling at you.